when last I preached on the Lord's Day, four months ago, we were walking through the book of Genesis. As a matter of fact, we had just completed and concluded the 22nd chapter of the book of Genesis. We shall return to our study through the book of Genesis in a couple of weeks, Lord willing. But until then, there has been much that I have desired and wanted to minister to this church as I have been freed up to be among you more, but more so freed up to observe you from the front and with our little girl sometimes from the back. In my times of observation, in my times of prayer, and in my times of contemplation, I believe the Lord has directed me to speak to you on a couple of pressing issues that I've observed. They will be vital for you. They will be of most importance for you, God's people to hear. I believe that these matters not only concern some of you, but all of you, and myself included. I say to you this morning, as Charles Spurgeon once said to his church, Today, I feel that I will condemn myself. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit, that as he deals with your hearts, that he would also let me deal honestly with mine. Today, I will preach being aware that I am the chief offender. And that you may also be given eyes to see that each one of you, in your own way, has also offended God. Although not as grievously as me. Therefore, I pray today that as the word of God goes forth, that you would not sit there believing that I am presenting myself as somehow more righteous than you are. Or somehow more worthy of pointing my finger in your direction. No. Dear ones, may the Lord Jesus Christ, who walks among us, through his renewing grace, apply this sermon to my own heart, just as he applies this sermon to yours, and that we together would return to our first love. With that said, let us stand for the reading of God's word, the book of Revelation, chapter 2. Verses 1 through 7. To the angel, this is the word of the Lord, of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you have found them to be false, and you have perseverance, and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you 
and will, will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is God's word. Please be seated. Dear brothers and sisters, this will not be a detailed exposition of this text as we would normally do, but rather, as Christ declared at the end of this passage, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This morning, I pray that you would listen, that you would listen to Christ, who spoke to this church in Ephesus so long ago, Christ who speaks to his church here in Bakersfield now today. I pray that your mind would be alert to take heed to the words of your master and my master. This morning I have four points for your contemplation. Number one, the commendation of this church. The commendation of this church. Though the pen of the Apostle John was writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, it was really the Lord Jesus Christ who was speaking to this church. It was really the Lord Jesus Christ who is the author of this letter. For it is Christ who speaks and he says it is he who holds the church in his hands. It is he who walks among those who are called to be light in this world. And I wonder if you've ever stopped to consider that particular fact. That in churches that are true churches... In churches that truly preach the gospel, in churches that are belonging to Christ, that Christ walks among them. Therefore, Christ walks among you and I here today. Christ is present today in a real and unique way. And what does Christ, who walks among his church, what does he have to say to her? He says in verse 2, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. The Lord Jesus Christ commends his church, this church of Ephesus, by saying, I know your deeds. The Lord knows. This church was not only known by the Lord, and it is not a small thing to realize that your church is known by Christ. Though it may not be known by the rest of the world, it is nevertheless known by Christ. Our desire is not that we might become a, a church popular to the world. Our, our desire is that we might be a church that is known by Christ. Not known by the world, but known by heaven. Why was this church known by Christ? Not just because of their profession of faith, but because of the action that accompanies faith. The Lord said to this church, I know your deeds. The church of Ephesus was an enormously significant church. From this church, the gospel spread to various parts of Asia Minor. In fact, theologians believe that most of the churches of that day were filled with people who first heard the gospel in Ephesus. The church of Ephesus had been planted by the Apostle Paul. It benefited from the preaching of Apollos. Their pastor was Timothy, and later in the twilight of their life, of his life, 
The Apostle John served in the church of Ephesus. It was richly blessed. It was blessed by some of the greatest preachers of all time. And their teaching, all that had been invested into that church, did not go to waste. I know your deeds, the Lord Jesus Christ said. Dear ones, sadly, I say that Christ cannot say the same of some of us. Sadly, I know that Christ cannot bear witness to the good works of some of you because some of you have no good works. Some of you are Christians only by profession and not Christians by practice. What were the deeds of the church of Ephesus? Take a listen to this. Take a listen to the good deeds of this church and ask yourselves, do my deeds, do our deeds match their deeds? Verse 2, you toil, you're toiling and your perseverance. That you cannot tolerate evil men. That you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And have found themselves to be false. You have perseverance and have not endured for my, and have endured for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. Brothers and sisters, who among us would not be satisfied with this list of accomplishments set out by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He has testified that they have toiled. They've worked hard. Some people work. And some people work hard. This church learned hard work from the Apostle Paul. Paul who said that he labored hard. That he labored harder than any of the other apostles. That he labored so hard to the point of exhaustion. This church worked hard. And they did not faint in the midst of their hard work. Some work. And after a time they are exhausted and, and they want to retire. There are many a preacher who retired from the pulpit. When there was still much strength left in their bones and in their bodies. Not this church though. They persevered. They pressed on. They marched forward. That They were not a, a flash-in-the-pan kind of church. <coughs> they labored on. They pressed on year after year, even though they endured and, and encountered persecution and trouble. They persevered. Amen. What is more, this church was an Orthodox church. It was a conservative church. Meaning they held tightly to the teachings of the, the Orthodox teachings of Christ and his apostles. They did not go the way of the Judaizers. They did not go the way of the Gnostics and the other false teachers and false groups of their day. They would not even tolerate them. Imagine that. The Lord Jesus Christ, he commends intolerance. The Lord Jesus Christ commends those who do not accept every idea but rather he commends those who reject every idea and hold to one orthodox view. He commends intolerance. What does the world say to you today? What does the world promote of you today? Be tolerant. Accept every view. View every view as equal. Christ says, I commend you for not doing that. They would not, in spite of the blow in popularity that their church would take, they would not tolerate evil men. 
They even tested those who claimed to be apostles, those who came to their church with a thus saith the Lord message. They tested them. And they tested them by the only certain rule of faith and obedience, the holy word of God, the word of Christ, the word of his apostles. They heeded the apostles warning against false teachers and against wolves who would come in and, and not spare the flock. They guarded the gospel with their lives. They did not grow weary in that hard work. And I must confess. Though I am doing this openly. And admitting for the first time that often I am been ready to faint in the master's work. Often I have been ready to leave the work of my master and finally enter the rest of my master. The master's reward. Oftentimes I've preached, I've cried with, I've prayed for, I've counseled with God's people and I say that loosely only to be gossiped about, falsely accused, misunderstood, and finally disconnected from God's people. And I use that word loosely. Yes, I have been ready to leave the work and enter the reward. I am afraid I could not be commended for my hard work and my perseverance. What about you? Who among us could win such praise from our great shepherd? As this church received from Christ, who among us could claim that what is said of this church could be said of us? There seems to be very little, if anything, said against this church of Ephesus. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he not only sees what is done in the light, he sees what is in the dark crevices of our souls. Number two. The church who left its love. But I have this against you. That you have left your first love. The Lord did not have a critique. I've got this against you. They have abandoned the love they had at first. This rebuke must have come like a shot in the heart to this church of Ephesus. Imagine all of the wonderful things that they have been doing, all of the things that have been said about this church, that we would love to be said about us from Christ. And yet, when the Lord searches the heart, He finds that there is no love there, that love has been abandoned. What love? What love is Christ speaking of? It's the love that energizes all. It's the love that transforms and fuels all. Simply put, it is the love the bride has for her groom, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they had left it. It was not lost. It was abandoned. It was not lost. It was simply and sadly Walked away from. It was not just love. It was first love. Their first love. It was the love they had for Christ when they were first united to him by faith. It was that love they left. Do you remember that love? 
Let's go back there for a moment. It's not been that long for some of you, especially in terms of eternity. It's not been that long. Do you remember when you had first been given eyes to see your sin? Do you remember your rejoicing? When Christ vowed to remove the curse of sin and the stain of sin from your life. Do you remember when Christ said that he will cast that sin as far as the east is from the west? And the joy and the exhilaration that you felt when you realized that he would remember your sin no more. Do you remember how you loved him so? Do you remember passing by, even running by all other loves and giving your love only to Christ alone. If Christ had said, give all that you have to the poor, you would have done it. And you would have thought of yourself as being amazingly rich, having emptied yourself to Christ. If Christ had told you, take a bullhorn and preach in the middle of the marketplace, you would have done it and you would have felt no shame. Samuel Rutherford said, if there were a wide hell, between me and you, I would plunge through it. If only I could embrace you and call you mine. Do you remember that love? When you loved like that? Do you remember when there was not a single thing in the Bible that you did not think was most precious? Do you remember when there was not a single command in the Bible that you did not consider more precious than silver than gold? When the doors of the church were opened, you were there. When there was a prayer meeting, we were there. If there was a Bible study or corporate evangelism, we were there. Nothing mattered. Not our jobs, not our schedules, not our appetites. Because our appetites were fulfilled in Christ. Christ consumed us. He was the food that we ate and we were satisfied in Him. And now today, everything for Christ is an inconvenience. Even as I speak to you now. Everything for Christ must be hurried. We don't have time. Not for Christ. Not for his church. We cannot come for early morning prayer because we've woken up late. And now arriving at church is our reg arriving late at church is the regular pattern of our lives. We cannot come to a Bible study for an hour because it may cut into the sleep that we need. We cannot come to evening service even though we've committed to it. Because we believe that it's somehow legalistic to attend evening service. Or even legalistic to be asked to come to leave evening service. Our activities are more important. Our families are more important than the grace that is provided for us by Christ as we gather with the saints. Oh, pastor, I'm not saying none of those things. Dear one, aren't you? Aren't you? Maybe not so much with your lips, but with your hands and feet. They are speaking loud and clear. We cannot come to pass out gospel tracts, feed the hungry for one hour because our activities are way more important. The things that we used to, to long for, could not wait for, look for the calendar. When is that next? We avoid like the plague. We used to do those things when we loved him. Do I need to do those works? Do they prove my love? It's possible to do those works without love, obviously, if, yeah, a church of Ephesus. But Christ did not rebuke for one second 
the works they did. He rebuked the heart in which they did them. As a pastor, it is sad to see how we seek the comforts and pleasures of the body rather than the prosperity of our souls. Some no longer believe that there is any blessedness in the Lord's day. Some no longer believe that there is any longing or desire to be in the presence of our Savior when we gather with the saints. How obedient we used to be. If there was a new command, we loved it and we obeyed it. But now we see the advantage of the other side. Now we are lawyers. Now we're presidents of the debate team. For we constantly argue how much God's word really applies to our lives. Remember when the word was precious. Now if we hear a sermon, now if we hear a sermon, if we're able to stay awake through it, if we're able to not get up excessively through it for unnecessary reasons, we are barely moved. At one time, our pens never stopped moving. At one time, our notebooks were filled with notes, pages upon pages of what we've gathered and what we've learned. And now not one single letter of the alphabet is written in our notebooks. Why? Rather than being blessed and enriched by sermons, we complain about them. Sermon was too long. It was too wordy. It was too loud. It was too deep. It was too shallow. And granted, the minister, me, I had many faults. But the question is whether there has not been a greater change in you than in me. Some say the sermons are not as good as they used to be. No, dear ones, your ears are not as good as they used to be. Your hearts are not as good as they used to be. Remember, remember when you loved him. Remember when you lived near to Christ and enjoyed his presence. Remember how little it took to make a good preacher. Remember how little it took to hear a sermon and be blessed by it. The preacher could be poor, he could be silent, he could be weak in his delivery, and yet our hearts felt like they could leap for joy at his preaching. They did not give us a new thought per se, they did not give us new information per se, but they talked about Christ, and we were satisfied with that. I recently heard a sermon, it was not eloquent, it was not impassioned, it was not presented by someone with great charisma. I was not moved to tears at the end of the sermon. But, dear brothers and sisters, he preached Christ. He preached hope. And I was convicted to my soul for my attitude during his sermon. This man is preaching before all of these people. He's not eloquent. He's not charismatic. There is no power, it seems. And at the end of it all, I had to say to myself, but he preached Christ. But he preached Christ. And what more should we want for God's people on his day than to hear Christ and him crucified? We've heard too many sermons that we should have profited from, that we should have been blessed by. But we've thought too much about style. 
We've thought how many points, how long, mistakes in their grammar. And what was the reason for all of that? Because we've lost our first love. When we cease to do the things that we did when we were first saved, it is no doubt that we have forsaken our first love. And even now, aren't we ready to make excuses? Haven't some of us already put up our defenses? Haven't some of us already been angered and offended? Why? The preacher has already said, this is about me and you. Us. It's a plea for you and for me to return to our first love, my first love, and your first love. Don't look around and see who this applies to. It's to you. It's to me. It's us. Someone said, I, I don't like RBC because I don't like Pastor Antonio's tone. I am not Joel Osteen. It is what it is. Would you like more evidence? Because this is seen just as much in the closet as it is in the public. Remember how you would pray? I do. I remember the days when I would not let my feet touch the ground. Until I prayed. I remember walking in my room, pacing back and forth and praying. I remember putting on music and worshiping God in song for what seemed to be like days. I felt as if I was in the very throne room of God on those days. What happened? What knowledge did I gain that has made me think that I have graduated from that place? To to what level did I excel to make me think that I am now above those days? If anything, I've learned more. I, I learned how better to pray now, how better to worship now, and yet I do it less. I know how better to pray. I know how better to worship, and yet I do it less. I've left my first love. I know more now. I've become wiser in some respects now, and yet I have not myself known what I should know. It was the real issue with Simon Peter, wasn't it? Simon Peter's problem was not courage. Courage was not his problem, even though he denied Christ three times. He knew the Lord. Courage was not his problem. Courage is not our problem. When the Lord met Simon Peter on the beach after the resurrection, his question to him was not, Simon Peter, do you have enough courage to follow me? There was something deeper in Simon Peter. And when Christ put his finger on it, Simon Peter was grieved to his soul. What was the real issue? Simon, do you love me more than these? Jesus is saying the same to this church today. Do you love me more than these? Orthodoxy was not the problem. Love was the problem. 
And he is waiting for us to say to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. These works are great. But they are not the most essential thing in this church. For we are a clinging gong and a noisy symbol if we have not love. Number three. Why have we left our first love? Brothers and sisters, why did we walk away from our first love? What did we leave our first love for? Christ is our husband, is he not? Over the past many weeks, Pastor Isaiah has labored to communicate God's love for his bride and love throughout all of 1 John and love in the Song of Songs as Pastor Isaiah explained to us Christ as our husband who loves us. What has he done that we should walk away from him? No husband has ever loved his bride the way Christ has loved his bride. Therefore, this is not a question of, about Christ's love for us. But rather, it's a question about our love for Christ. And the way the scriptures organize this question is this. You are his bride and you have left him. You are an adulterer. Why have you played the harlot? Who has enticed us that we would walk away from the most perfect and absolute love? The world has enticed us. Who? The world. The pursuits and rewards the world promises. They have caught our eye. And we have taken our eyes off of the author and perfecter of our faith. The world has promised us worldly success and temporary pleasures. And we, like Eve, have believed her lie. And we have reached out for that fruit. I knew a young man who once passionately was learning about Christ more and more, was growing in Christ more and more. His heart was more and more devoted to Christ. And I was very proud to be a part of this young man's growth. Young as he was, he had a desire. Like most 16-year-olds have a desire to make money, to get a job. And he began to look for a job at his parents' uh, permission. My advice to him was, there's nothing wrong with a job, young man. But do not let this job take you away from Christ and from the gathering of the saints. And he heeded this advice for a time until he was once asked on the Lord's Day to cover for another co-worker. And he took that coverage. And then one Lord's Day turned into two Lord's Days. And then two Lord's Days turned into three and then four. And I have not now seen that man, that young man who is now a man, in ten years. Too much of the world is a bad thing. We live in this world, but we must not be of this world. Some would rather do more business with the world than business with the kingdom of heaven. Some only care about their jobs. And their jobs consume them. Why are you there in your job? Only to make money. Don't you believe in the providence of God? 
Don't you believe that wherever you are, you have been placed there by God? And though you are there to work, you are also there to be a witness. Are you a witness on your job? What do you do with your money? How often do you allow your job to take you away from the gathering of the saints? And brothers and sisters, this is applied to everything, to sports, to education, to occupation and the like. It is to all of those things across the board. What has caused you to turn your back on your first love? What has enticed you? Worldly companions have caused us to leave our first love. Some have not only been involved, too involved with the world, they have also been too involved with worldly people. Some of us have not one saved friend. If we were to count our friends and number them, they would far outnumber those who we call friends that are saved. The unsaved outnumber the saved that we call companions in our lives. Should we seek to evangelize the unbeliever? Yes, of course, but are you? Are you making the gospel known to that multiplicity of friends you have? Are you calling them to join you for worship? Have you invited them to your church? When Christ was your first love, you did. I can remember a friend, uh, loosely I say, not a friend, someone I knew in high school. After I had just been saved, I seen him in the registrar, a registrar at B.C., And he was a person that I always wanted to be like. He was the most worldly of the worldlians. Kicked out of school. uh, Known for being high all of the time. And I thought he was great and I thought he was cool. And I seen him. I said, hey, Tommy. And he says, what's different about you? And I said, it's Christ. Christ is different about me. I was 19. Would you be so bold today? To say to those whom you have not seen or even those who you see on a regular basis, turn to Christ. Be saved. When Christ was our first love, there was no company that suited us better than the company of those who profess Christ. Now, those who deny Christ are our closest companions. Now, those who make no mention of Christ make us the most comfortable comfortable to be around because they don't talk about Christ. Some of us can only but for a few moments talk about spiritual things until our attention is diverted and we no longer can stand it. Why? It's because we've left our first love and we no longer have anything to offer. When we were walking with God, we could not but for one moment stop talking about him. And now that we are far off, we know it. And so any spiritual conversation makes us uncomfortable. We know that we've left him. That's why we avoid spiritual talk like the plague. Why have you left your first love? The world, worldly companions, and worldly trouble. Have troubles that we all encounter in this fallen and sick world caused your love for Christ to cool? Has unemployment caused your love for Christ to cool? Has difficult and even broken relationships caused your love for Christ to cool? Have physical sicknesses and illnesses caused your life to cool, your love for Christ to cool? Have mental sicknesses 
caused your love for Christ to cool? Has growing debt caused your love for Christ to cool? Have great expectations that have not materialized and the like caused your love for Christ to cool? And what we do when this love is cool, we look around at our church and say, it's the church's problem. It's the church's fault. It's that pastor's problem. And we look at everything else except for ourselves and say, no, I am the problem. Have you neglected your communion with Christ simply because of trouble that falls on the just and the unjust? Really? What has he done? What has Christ done? Why have you left him? Dear ones, think about this. What have I said to you today? Revelation 2.4 The passage that we have just read that you have forsaken your first love. What if I said to you today you could scratch that out of the Bible? Take it out. Wipe out it because it doesn't matter. It doesn't apply to you. It doesn't even belong there. What would you say? What would you do? If you were faithful you should all rush this pulpit and remove me from it and never again allow me to speak from this place again. But does it matter? If you would have that kind of zeal for me to say it doesn't belong, then does it matter to you that it's even there? Does it matter? Does it make any difference in your life that he has said the most important thing in this world is that you love him. Because if you would feel anger towards me saying it doesn't belong there. What difference has it made in your life and why would you care if you don't believe it? Could it be that behind all of the things that we have sought to do, all of the years of service that we have offered to the Lord, that we are simply trying to mask the very fact that we are trying to substitute other things for the thing that Christ wants most from us, that we love him. Spurgeon said, one of my besetting sins, I feel, is this. If there is anything to be actively done for Christ, I instinctively prefer the active exercise to the quiet, passive of his presence. You know what that means? That means I love to do all of the work. But those things that most test the temperature of my heart and my soul, those are the things that I neglect. The time of silent prayer. The time of fellowshipping him and communing with him in his word. The time of loving my wife when no one can see how I talk to her. The time of loving my children when no one can see how I treat them. They know. They see. Christ knows. Christ sees. And those acts are most evident of where your soul truly is. Love to Christ is dependent on our nearness to him. If we are near to Christ, we can't help but love him. But when we go days and weeks and years without loving him, we soon learn 
it's impossible to love a stranger. My dear brothers and sisters, if these words have struck you thus far, then praise be to God. Praise be to God that he has given you ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. But Christ does not leave us there, does he? Christ provides for us the way back. The shepherd of our souls is leading his sheep back to himself. And he provides the way back to fellowship and back to communion with him. And what is it? Verse 5. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. And repent. And do the deeds you did at first. Or else, I'm coming to you. And will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Three R's in closing. What is the way back? Remember. Remember. It is a twofold kind of remembering. Remember the place where your heart was inflamed. I read a testimony the other day. And the place for this man was in a hotel room across the country. The Lord once again, and maybe for the first time, inflamed this man's heart to love him with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. He remembers it was there. It was at that place, at that time for me. It was while I was on a couch, sitting in my living room, coming to grips with the fact that I should be dead. And yet I was spared in that automobile accident. That though a GMC Mack truck hit me on my driver's side and I should be smothered or I should have been uh, uh, smashed to pieces. I walked out of that car, rolled out of that car without a scratch. And I sat on that couch and remembered all of what I've been told all of my life, that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And if you reject Christ, you will serve an eternal punishment in hell, and I knew that that's where I should go had it not been for the grace and mercy of God. It was on that couch that I said, Lord, thank you for saving me. And I knew enough of repentance to say, I repent of my sin, and I want you to be my Savior. Where was it for you? Where was the place when your heart was inflamed with the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you remember? Do you remember when the love was sparked in your heart? Go back there. Go back there. Remember. Be refreshed. See the garbage that has gotten in the way of your love for Christ. Remember the cross. My father used to sing a song. Go back to the cross. And we need to go back to the cross. We need to be remembered or or to remember and to be refreshed. Of the day when we were pulled out of the depths of our sin and rescued from the wrath and punishment of God. Go back to the cross. And where is the best place for you to remember than at the Lord's table? 
The Lord has commanded his people to come to the table, to eat in remembrance of him. And when we eat and when we feast upon him, we remember the grace that has been offered to us at the cross by the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood. The day when you were saved and what we are doing today, it meant something to you. Have you longed to come to his table to feast with him? Do you remember the pit from which you were pulled? Do you remember where you were when you were saved by Christ? And the other remember is this. Remember what got you off track. I was doing so well. I was running with great stride. What broke my stride? Yes, that's what it was. I was doing so good and then I began to miss church. That's what it was. I was doing so good and then I got a job. That's what it was. I was doing so good and then that activity got in the way. That's what it was. I met that boy or I met that girl. That's what it was. Remember where you were and remember what has gotten in the way. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. It's the foxes that spoil the vine. What should you do when you remember? Repent. Turn from your sin. A heart that does not love God with all of its heart, mind, soul, strength is a heart that is sinning against God. It's a sin. Christ calls them to repent of their sin. He did not excuse their sin. He did not allow them to give an excuse for their lack of love. No. It was a call. Come back to your first love. You are in sin. We should be repenting all the time. We have repented. We must continue to repent. We must continually ask God to purge our hearts of any sin that remains. If we do not repent, he will remove his presence. And what that means there is not that they would no longer be saved. It was that they would no longer be effective in the world. (laughs) What a shame it would be to gather for worship. And Christ is not there. Simply because we don't love him. Many have left this church. Some saved. Many not. I'll say that again. Many have left this church. Some saved. Many who are not. I pray that the Lord purge this church of all chaff until only the wheat remain. I pray that the Lord remove all the goats until only the sheep remain. Many have left, but Christ does not. And if Christ is here, that's what matters most. Repent and then do what? Do what you first did. Do the first works. This church was already doing. They were already commended for their doings. What were they not doing? That they should return to doing. Love. Let me warn you, as someone who's been in church, growing up in church for 40 years and has now been a part of ministry for 20 years, this can all become very routine. If you have not love. This can all become 
very routine if you have not love. You don't believe me? Some of your marriages are very routine. And it's when the person, one or the other, believes that there is something wrong with the normal things that we do, that they begin to look for this feeling somewhere else. No, it's there. You've committed to it. He is committed to you. You have committed to him. It is there. Don't wait for a feeling in order for you to start doing the right thing. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. Ask the Lord to give you a heart after him every single day. Just as husbands, you should be asking the Lord to help you love your wives better every single day. We sing, we pray, we listen, we fellowship, we partake of the Lord's Supper, we baptize. There are many things that we can do faithfully and do so cold year after cold year if we do not ask the Lord to give us a true devotion in our heart to him. You think it's going to come by your own strength? It's the spirit of God who works in you to love him. If we start trying to do this by our own strength, it will become routine. When you stop depending on him, it becomes routine. Ask him daily, give me a heart of devotion for you. There are many who have not spent one minute in prayer, let alone one hour to God in prayer. And yet they attend the regular means of grace every Lord's Day after Lord's Day with no love. That's not true love. Ask him to inflame your hearts once again. Fellowship with him in his word. Fellowship with him in prayer. Love each other with real love. Some of you used to invite people over to your homes. Some of you used to love talking to the saints. Now you don't. Because you've been hurt. And because one person has hurt you and another person has hurt you, you feel like you have the right to build up walls. You don't. As a minister, I have been hurt more times than I can count. I don't have the right to build up walls. And if I don't, you don't either. Start loving each other. Invite someone over to your home. Talk about Christ to one another. Remember you used to do those things? Why'd you stop? Return to your first love. Let me say this in closing. And there is no magic touch to this. There's no laying on of hands. I don't have any oil back here that I can pour on your head to make it all, all, all much better. They've been commanded, so do them. Do you love Christ? Do you treasure him more than all of these? Then seek him while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. We've all been warned. I could not preach another sermon after my sabbatical before this was said. I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the great evil of making a profession of Christianity without being a true believer with all of your heart. I've gone so far of just short calling your name, but I've called my own. Remember, <laughs> repent, and return with me to my first love.
to your first love, to our first love, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.